Welcome to Life Church Podcasts. We know you'll be blessed by this message. And I just want to encourage you this morning that there's treasure in this room. Okay, I want to make a statement, and this applies to each one of you this morning, okay? All of you. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are talented. You are adorable. You are strong. You are smart. You are a nice person. You look great in what you're wearing. The church is a better place because you're here. You can handle anything life throws at you. You have what it takes. There is no one like you. And if you're like most people, just then you thought to it, well, maybe that's not me. That's someone else. You know, maybe a bit, or maybe one day I'll be like that. But I wouldn't dare think that about myself. Maybe you just think, oh, I'm, I'm average, or you know, I'm just less than average. You know, I mean, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, they're amazing. But I'm nothing. My year seven Italian teacher would put it like this. I'm sto cosi cosi, which means I'm so-so. And she would be so proud of me that I remembered that. <coughs> because we've got one thing in this country that culturally it's very acceptable for us to feel that way. It's very acceptable for us to feel average or less than average or, or not be too puffed up. We call it the tall poppy syndrome. And what's the tall poppy sy- syndrome? I had a look online and I found this description. It's a tendency to disparage any person who has achieved great prominence or wealth. You think about it. You think about it. In England, in the UK, they've got greats, like they've got Sir Winston Churchill. They've got other greats throughout history, other figures who achieved great things in political realms or in social realms or in the church realms, and they're seen as great individuals. In America, you've got the presidents who are revered. You've got Lincoln and the other ones, and they've all escaped my mind. You've got sports stars. You know, oh, they're great. They're awesome. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. Yes, okay, I know there's some issues there too. But, you know, they, the, other cultures have no issues with saying, hey, they're great people. They're great role models. But I want you to think of a great Australian Oh, kind of. Yeah, we, we put a couple of them on our money, but there's no one that we hold in high regard like the Americans do, like their presidents, or like the champions of the church in England, or the, the royals that have gone before them, or the great saints. Who do we hold in high regard in Australia? Very few. Because in Australia, we cut them down. They're tall poppies. Oh, who do they think they are? And... There was an unhealthy church, unhealthy trend in the church when I was growing up. Then, in order to be humble, you had to put yourself down. I remember this very well. I grew up in a church where, well, perhaps not so much. It wasn't, you know, but I'd see it on the fringes, and I'd see it on the fringes of other churches. You know, I'd remember conversations where someone would be thanked for, you know, oh, that was a great message, or oh, that was a great song, or oh, that was a great thing you did oh, it's not me, it's, you know, I'm no one, it's, it's just Jesus. Oh, I've got nothing to offer, it's just God working through me. And yeah, that's true to a point. Or, oh, I'm just, I'm just a rotten sinner, 
just saved by grace. That's all I am. I'm just a sinner. I just haven't read Romans, but we'll get to that. (coughs) And I just remember that was that whole culture of, oh, I'm humble. I'm humble because I keep putting myself down, because I keep calling myself nothing. I'm worthless. It's all God. I'm nothing. Well, we, I want to have a look at Romans 6.6 6 this morning. And it says this, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ though that, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I want to emphasize that. We are no longer slaves to sin. We sang that this morning. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Can you say amen? Can I just say one thing? Stace pointed out when she preached, the more you say amen, the better it gets. Amen? Amen? Good on you. Thank you. And I want to just say today, you're not a sinner just saved by grace. You were, and that's past tense, a sinner who is now saved. Amen? You are now saved. Verse 11 of Romans 6 really seals the deal. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So if you're a sinner, you're not dead to the power of sin. But I'm dead to the power of sin. Amen? And I'm alive to God through Christ Jesus. Amen? And if I start coughing because my throat's tickly, it's because I've had a sore throat. See, sin's got no power over you. Yes, I acknowledge we sin. We all make mistakes. We all do sin. But sin hasn't got the power over us, okay? I can go days without sinning. I'm not joking. Now, I'm not saying I can go days without being tempted, but if temptation is a sin, then Jesus was tempted. Was Jesus a sinner? No. So, Temptation is not sin. Chris Vallotton puts it this way, one of my favourite preachers. He says, you are not... Oh, how does he say it? Mm. I can't remember. That's it. You are not the temptations you resist. You are the values and the actions you embrace. Amen? So you're not the temptations that Satan throws against you, that come against you. That's not you. That doesn't define you. What defines you is the values and the response to those temptations. That is who you are. Amen? Amen? If you have a propensity to nick the old thing or that, you know, oh, I just feel like stealing that or being a bit dishonest. Okay? That's a temptation. You're not a thief. Because your action is, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm tempted by that, but I'm not going to do that. So don't define yourself as a thief. You define yourself as someone who has virtue, who has integrity, regardless of the temptations that come against you. Amen? Because you're no longer a slave to sin. Okay, I want you to get that. I want you to get that freedom this morning. And I know we all love this song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, I don't tend to sing the wretch part because wretch, for me, is past tense because a wretch is a despicable or a contemptible person. Sure, that might have been me before salvation, but not post-salvation. Amen. 
I kind of sing that saves someone like me. Just because no one's got to reaffirm that old man to me. Amen. Because I'm saved. Amen. Stacey gave the analogy a couple of weeks ago when she preached um, that kind of summed this up and she stole this from Chris Valaton. I'm going to steal it again. And it kind of speaks to that old cultural thing that was in the church about being that false humility, that ripping yourself down because, you know, that's what you thought you had to do. And it's like if I paint a beautiful painting, imagine that window there is the beautiful painting, okay? Just imagine it there, nice widescreen painting. I've painted this amazing painting, right? Now, it doesn't matter what the painting thinks of itself. It's irrelevant because I've called it amazing. And when people look at that painting and say, oh, that's a wonderful painting, that's an amazing painting, or, ooh, I don't like that painting, that's a horrible painting, they're not actually insulting the painting, they're insulting the artist who created the painting. They're insulting the creator. So if you and I are that painting... It's quite okay to say, hey, I am a child of God. I'm wonderful. (coughs) I'm created for purpose. Amen. It's quite okay to say that and believe that because that's how the creator made you to be. You know, and I know it can go the other way, being narcissistic and full of yourself. And I trust that you're all mature enough to have that balance. Amen. That would be good. Thank you. Beautiful wife is bringing me a glass of water. Thanks, Melissa. Ah, That's great. So each of you have been created beautiful. Amen. Amen. So I can stand here and say all those things about you again that I said a few minutes ago. You're amazing, incredible, talented, adorable, strong, smart. You can handle anything Life throws at you. There's no one like you. And you can take hold of that. You can believe it because you were created by the creator who made you that way. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the Psalms for some affirmation. Turn to Psalm 139 verse 13 and 18. I love this. says this, you made me, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So you're, you're not an accident if you're in this room. Verse 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered I can't even count them they outnumber the grains of sand and when I wake up 
you are still with me. See, who am I to think myself a wretch, useless, no good, less than average, when the Lord God has precious thoughts about me that cannot be numbered? That's just arrogance. That, that is just pure arrogance. If I want to think that about me, then I know better than God because actually he has a completely different opinion of me. His precious thoughts about me and each and every single one of you outnumber the grains of sand. And there's a fair bit of sand because we've just been on a beach holiday and we're still vacuuming it out of our car. You're wonderfully complex and his workmanship, which is you, is marvellous. You are precious. And if you're taking notes this morning, my first point is you are not just an average face in an average crowd. You are wonderful and you are gold. Amen. Amen. Mm. So I've sought to establish that who you are, okay? But I want to now give you some direction and go, okay, I know who I am, I've got a bit of an idea who I am, but why am I here? I love this from Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to break this down a bit over the next few minutes. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. I love that verse and that verse has mucked my life up in so many ways. It's quite funny actually. And let me explain it to you. As someone who spent nearly a decade working as a cartographer, to me a plan is a rigid set of instructions to follow. It's a detailed design that's laid out precisely. And so I'd read that and I'd go, for I know the plans you have, I have for you. And I go, okay, God's got a plan. So my interpretation of plan is something rigid, something fully defined, something set, completely in concrete, detailed. You can't deviate from the plan. And so I would read that and... I would know God has good things for my life. But what if I miss it? What if I miss, you know, what if he's telling me to go that way and I miss it and I turn left instead of I turn right or I take that job when he really wants me to stay in this job? You know, because after all, he's got a plan and a plan's fixed, right? So that really mucked me up because I'd be, you know, I'd I'd get this opportunity in ministry or in work and I'd be like, (coughs) look, God, what do I do? Oh, Lord, I need need three angels dancing at the end of the bed to tell me what to do because if I make the wrong decision, I've mucked up your plan. And so for so long, I was bound and fearful that if I took the wrong step, I'd take the wrong path and then this, this awesome plan that he had for my life, I would have ruined it. 
And then, then I wouldn't have a hope or a future because I'd miss the plan. Now, I don't know if anyone else has ever tended to think like that. That's probably just me. I do take things fairly extreme. It's in my personality. But I want to have a look up at some of those source words. And I like this thing. Has anyone ever heard of Strong's? Strong's numbering, Strong's concordance. So I've, I've been in church all my life, except for a few years in my 20s when I did other things. And no one actually ever told me what Strong's was. I'd kind of just, mm, yeah, oh, yeah, Strong's. Oh, well, <laughs> they've looked that up in Strong's. Good on yous. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to assume anything this morning. I want to explain what Strong's is. Okay, so the King James Version of the Bible on my Bible software has these numbers against every single word in the Bible. And then I can go and click on that reference and it brings up the Strong's Concordance, which is kind of like a dictionary, and tells me more about that word. And I just really like it. Here's, a, here's, here's an explanation. The purpose of Strong's Concordance is not to provide content or commentary about the Bible, but to provide an index to the Bible. This allows the reader to find words where they appear in the Bible. The index also allows the student of the Bible, which is us, to refine a phrase or passage previously studied. It also lets the reader directly compare how the same word may have been used elsewhere. Uh, in this way, Strong's provides an independent check against translations and offers an opportunity for greater and more technically accurate understanding of text. Okay. So... I went back to Strong's and I bit of, did a bit of a study on that, on that Jeremiah 29, 11. So the first one is, for I know the plans. So the key word there for me, I feel like Pastor Darrell, excuse me if I cough, I'll say excuse me once, then I'm just going to cough. <laughs> so the key word there, plans. So in the original language, the word plans is, do I attempt it? Do I, do I just... Yeah, okay, here we go. Makashabah. Or Makashabeth. I don't know. Um, look, Google that yourself. That's all good. But it's from the root word H2803. Uh, that is an intention, a plan, a curious work, imagination, purpose, or thought. I know the King James translation version of the Bible renders that for I know the thoughts I think toward you saith the Lord so that word plan you know is an imagination or a purpose okay and then the other word I want to pick out of there is the word good they are plans for good so in Strong's that's uh, Shalom I think S-H-A-W hyphen L-O-M-E Shalom And the good, other words for that are safe, well, happy, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, favour, rest, safe, welfare, well. So, I know Pastor Darrell is working on the Marshall translation paraphrase of the Bible, so I thought I'd, I'd jump on his editing team and I'd give it a go myself. So I might paraphrase Jeremiah 29.11 like this. My thoughts and dreams for your life are good. I see you happy, peaceful, 
prosperous and safe because my favour is upon you. Amen. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. So he has a purpose for our life. Amen. A purpose. Not a rigid, you must turn left, then you must turn right, then you must choose this, and if you choose that, you've stuffed up. I'll have to fix it up for you, but I can only do this so often. No, there's a purpose for your life, and it's good. It's good. Point two, don't ever think you have missed the plan for your life. There is no rigid plan. There is a good and wonderful purpose for your life. Go and discover it without fear of accidentally missing something because you are gold, you are precious. Amen. So you've got permission to go on an adventure. Go dreaming with God. Go and discover the purpose he set before you. You haven't missed it. It's not too late. You can start today. So one thing, I sometimes get frustrated. Anyone else get frustrated? I know Stacey gets frustrated, she tells me. I get frustrated. Sometimes I get frustrated that I'm not good enough to do what God has called me to do. Be it a, a dad, a husband, a pastor, an employee. I just get frustrated. Maybe I don't have it. But do you know there's some hugely famous people in the Bible who were called called by great things and they didn't even get it. And actually, at the moment, I'm having so much fun reading through Exodus. I've got to thank Tia. She she, um, sent us this um, archaeological, what do you call it, program. She said, watch this, guys. It's about all the archaeological evidence for Exodus. (coughs) And we watched that and I loved it and I'm going to watch it with the kids again because I love that kind of thing and so I thought oh I might read Exodus again it's a fantastic book really is I've been reading it in my new living and then I'll read it in the message just to get a bit of a different language to see how things are put I just love it and so Moses good old Moses I like Moses I'm trying to recreate his beard give me a couple of months I'll do it Thank you. (laughs) I want to give you an example from Moses. This is Moses, um, I was going to say Moses chapter (laughs) 3. Yeah, okay. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through to 11. One day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. And here we have the biggest understatement in all the Old Testament. Moses stared in amazement. <laughs> the bush, Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. How cool is that? This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. I reckon I would have done the same thing. I reckon I would have put my finger in to see (laughs) I do some weird things. 
When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And when he calls your name twice, he's trying to get your attention. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezites, Hivites and Jebusites now live. Sounds like some of the rocks I've got in my rock collection. Nine. Look at the cry of the people of Israel. Look, the cry of people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt and then we come to verse 11 but Moses protested to God who am I to appear before Pharaoh who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt who am I come on he's just seen a burning bush that's not actually burning he's just heard the voice of God one on one He knew it was the voice of God. He was afraid to look. God's told him, person, God to person, firsthand, what he's going to do. Like, (coughs) just a little bit amazing. Hasn't happened to me. Anyone else had this happen? God, the voice of God speaking directly. All this amazing thing. He goes, but who am I? It's like, come on. You know, I could understand if he had a vague dream one night where he felt God had spoken to him. I just feel the Lord is leading me. You know, I haven't had any confirmation. Look, I can understand perhaps then, you know, who am I to do this? You know, I've kind of got a, you know, maybe I had a private. No, he had a burning bush. He had the voice of God speaking directly with him. <clears throat> I want... Yeah, I wonder if, if we would have done the same. Perhaps we would have. Perhaps it's just a human nature thing. I don't know. But I just read that and go, okay, so sometimes I question myself. I'm double-minded. Look, it's not so bad because people like Moses, who had probably much flashier interactions than I've had so far, questioned the same thing. So, And again, here we read Exodus 4, 10, 11. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been. And now, I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? 
(laughs) Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Isn't he God after all? Amen. I just, I like it. I like reading that because I don't feel so bad with my shortcomings because I see these huge heroes of the Bible had very similar shortcomings and they had very tangible interactions, perhaps a bit, a bit more tangible than I may have had to this day. Okay, let's look at King David. Love King David. And um, twice in the Bible he's called a man after a man after God's heart. And in Kings, I didn't copy that scripture, but I've got Acts. So in Acts thirteen twenty two says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David's son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So now this same King David is the same King David that committed adultery with Bathsheba and then tried to cover up her pregnancy and when he failed at that he had a husband Uriah that he like killed. But he was a man after God's own heart. So who are we to disqualify ourselves as people that God can use, that God can work through when we have these other heroes of the faith, these other, these other amazing heroes in the Bible who had, you know, more complex issues than we did, made more stupid choices and bad things than we did, who are we to automatically, by default, disqualify ourselves as people who can do great things in the kingdom? I mean, I even look at Joseph when he had the dream of the, you know, where he he interpreted as though he's... um, his siblings would bow down to him. And he went and told it to his siblings. I mean, come on, mate. You know, you know how do you think they're going to react? They're already jealous of you because they think you're the favourite. And now you go and tell them that. Like, he, he wasn't too smart. Like, politically savvy, he, he, he wasn't there. He, he, he had to work on that. So I read those three and I just go, hey, I'm not doing so bad after all. Point three, don't let your self-assessment of your worth, your shortcomings or your past mistakes get in the way of the good things God has set out for you. Amen. I'm going to get the musos to come back up. You guys can start strumming and doing some things. But I just, just want each of you to know this morning that There's treasure in this room, in this church. There's precious things in this room. Amen. And I don't know if you've you've ruled yourself out. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too busy, I'm 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 not good at that, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, I can't do that, or you know, I'm I I don't know really what to do, or well, you know, there was a plan, but I I probably made a mistake in the plan, well, I'm telling you, there's no rigid plan. There's a purpose for your life. Yeah, sure, I know he knows what you're going to choose and what you're going to do because he's God, okay? 
And that messes my head up a bit too. But I just know you can't miss it. You can't turn left and miss it because you know, he's big enough to fix a mistake or a wrong direction or a wrong turn. He's God after all. Amen? So there's gold in this room and I just want to encourage you. Just start looking at the gold in each other. Look, start looking at the gold in yourself. It's not too late. It's not too late. Amen? It's not too late. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, but I'm not. I'm retired. I'm not working anymore. Good. You've got more time to do things. Well, actually, retired people are the busiest people I know. But, you know, don't let the secret out. Um, you know, it's not too late. Amen. Amen. You're beautiful people. Stacy and I talk, which is a good thing for married couples to do, isn't it? It's good. Hey, could, could we get the worship lights up, Josh? So we talk and we just, we talk about you. We do. We talk about each of you. And we just look at the gold in the room. We really do. We just see so much gold. Amen. There's just so much gold in this room, in this church. As assistant pastor, what I want to see is I want to see the fourth bank of seats out there and I want to see all these seats filled and I want to see our second services happening. And, you know, and to be honest, that can be frustrating and, and sometimes that can, your, your thoughts can be like, but, but, you know, but I just think, and I know Stacey feels this way and we've talking, been talking about this, the mentions to Pastor Darrell, it's about seeing the gold in what we have, who we have, and really panning out that gold and, and fostering who's in the house, who we've got, because there's gold here. What's in our hand? You're not here for no reason. Amen? You're here for a purpose. And I just look forward to you discovering that anew over the coming days and weeks and months, just pressing in in prayer, in your personal time with the Lord, just saying, God, I know you've got a purpose for your life. And if you need to, say, hey, come on, refire that, respark that in me. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hand over to Stacy and Beth and these guys here, and they'll, they'll wrap it up for me, won't you guys? Yeah. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord God, First of all, that green light to my left, we're going to replace that faulty light. Ignore the green light. We've got new ones up the back. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for the gold that's in this room. Lord, I thank you for every man, woman and child in this place. The purpose you have for them. The wonderful men and women of God you've created them to be. Lord, I thank you they have victory over sin in their lives. And Lord, they're just called into fullness and wholeness in your kingdom. They're called to advance your kingdom. Right here in this town in Benalla and surrounds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, head to lifechurchbanella.com.au.